Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Mark 2, 14. As he passed by, he saw Levi. <laughs> and he's just going out right there. Uh, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and he followed him. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. It's so awesome, so amazing. And I pray, Father, just open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears. That we may know what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I think one of the things that's been on my heart and many of us it's discipleship really that's the that's what we're called to be is disciples is that right yeah, we're not necessarily even called to be churchgoers we're called to be disciples that's the the whole goal that's the the agenda if you like on the heart of god he wants disciples and i think that the way to define a disciple is right there now just those two words you define i think the two words that define a disciple is someone who follows jesus that's simple. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. You think about this. We're told Levi, or Matthew, uh, as, as he wrote the gospel, as you're aware of. But you know how, he, the Bible says he was a tax collector. In those days, tax collectors, sorry Chris, <laughs> they weren't the most popular people around. They are today, aren't they Chris? Kind of. <laughs> but in those days, man, they weren't, they weren't very popular because they were literally collaborators. They actually collected, you think about it, they collected tax for an occupying army, basically. And often the, most of the tax collectors were kind of fairly corrupt because they would collect so much and give to the Romans and then would keep back so much for themselves. And so they were fairly corrupt and they were very unpopular you know, you can imagine in the community that these were the people everybody shunned. You're right now, Chris, aren't you? They're, you know, everybody shunned, everybody sort of walked away from and they'd ignore them, turn their back on them and call them all kind of names. And, and so really, they were literally shunned in their community. There were people that really, that, that literally, they were outcasts. Ever thought about this when Jesus, when he, they said of Jesus, he dines with publicans, which in those days wasn't the one who went to pub. A publican was a tax collector. Uh, and sinners. In other words, and the word sinner there doesn't necessarily mean someone who's sinned in that respect. That's how they saw them. Somebody who was kind of thrown out and literally an outcast of society. And this is what a tax collector was. An outcast, somebody who was spurned by the society and the community as a whole. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus comes to such a person, the one who is an outcast, and chooses actually the most unlikeliest person you can think possible. 
and says, come and follow me. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that like God, that he chooses the most unlikeliest people? Ever thought about that's why he's chose you and I? (laughs) Really. The most unlikeliest people. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. In other words, he selected you, he chose you for something. He chose you, and we've got different functions, but ultimately, the goal of why he's called us, he's called us to follow him. To follow him. That's the core, the core of Jesus on us. To come and to follow him. And if you follow Jesus, you have influence. People will follow you because if you're truly following Jesus, then they kind of want what you have. Amen. Now, in today's, I suppose, society, everybody's following something. They follow celebrities. Isn't it, mate? We're just absolutely obsessed with celebrities then. And people are following celebrities. People follow Twitter. Isn't that right? People follow Facebook. Everybody's following something. And what we're called to do is follow Jesus. We can follow all kinds of We can follow methods. We can follow programs. But the most important thing is that we follow Jesus. And I think God's bringing back his church through its supernatural origin so we get back to the core essence of everything that we follow Jesus. We're following him. Everybody can have a plan for their life, but are you following Jesus' plan for your life? In fact, you'll never find God's plan for your life until you follow Jesus. It's simple. This is the essence. Jesus called us and says, follow me. I was thinking about that. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It's almost this picture that it's a journey, basically. When Jesus says, follow me, he's actually saying, come and follow my journey. Let me show you just scripture here, Matthew chapter 4. And you'll find this kind of phrase throughout the scriptures, following me. Come, follow me. Matthew 4, verse 19 to 20. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He's saying, follow me. He's saying, I'm inviting you to walk with me through life's journey. When you think about it, what, what this picture is, that Jesus says, you're on a journey and I want you to invite me to walk alongside you. In other words, he's saying, let me be your partner. Let me be your sharer in life. Allow me to, 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 to work with you, to partner with you through every aspect of your life. It's a journey through life. In fact, the word there follow means 
To be on the same road as a companion. That's what the actual Greek word means. It means to be on the same road as a companion. It means to enter another person's world and journey with them. And Jesus is saying, I want you to enter into my world and see things from my perspective. I want you to allow me to come on the journey of your life. And allow me to enter into your world and you enter into my world. You know, I, don't, I suppose when we were in Italy, one thing that struck me was how influenced we are by Greek culture. I didn't realise that. A lot of our thinking is influenced. I know I'm in Italy, but Greek culture was very influential in Italy. In case you, I wasn't making a mistake, I was actually meaning that. But actually... In Greek culture and Greek thought, there's a separation between the spiritual and the secular. And we've been influenced by that. In other words, when we come to church, that's spiritual, if you like. When I go to work, that's secular. But in God's eyes, he doesn't divide it. It is that when you go to work, that is still spiritual. When you do whatever else you're doing in a practical way, that is still spiritual. They are not divided in God's eyes. There's no such thing as secular and spiritual. Why? Because you're following him. You're on this journey that he's involved in every area, every compartment in your life. He says, you follow me because I want to be involved in every aspect, every dimension, every part of your life. I want to be involved in it. Why? Because you are following me. You don't kind of follow Jesus when you come to church and say, when I'm at work now, that's a separate kind of issue. That's separate. You're following him in every single thing you do. Amen. Follow me, said Jesus. Follow me. Just follow me. Follow me. And Jesus, we're told, have thought about this. He says, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. So in other words, everything he did was because he was led and directed by his Father. He never did anything by himself, if you like. Everything he did was led by the Father. So one instance, he's on his way to pray for a girl that's dying. Remember that story? And on the way, he's interrupted And a woman touches the hem of his garment and the father leads him to heal this woman with that hemorrhage. And you'll find time and time again that Jesus follows the directing and leading of his father. He listened to what the Spirit of God was saying and he did what the father directed him to do. He was completely submitting and flowing with what the Father was doing. And he just obeyed it. And out of that came incredible fruit and results. Amen. Because he listened. Father, what are you saying for me to do? Whatever you say, I obey and I do. I only do what the Father tells me to do. And even at the age of 12, we're told, he was about his father's business. In other words, it means you share your life and there's no issue in your life that Jesus is not interested in. 
He's interested in your pains. He's interested in your sufferings. He's interested in your disappointments. He's interested in your joys. He's interested in every area and every dimension of your life. And so throughout the day, if I'm following him throughout the day, I need to engage with him and connect with him every moment of the day. Just when you're doing your job. Father, what should I do here? And what should I do? So you're constantly connecting, constantly connecting with him every moment, all the time. You're connecting and following the will and the direction of Jesus. Look at Mark 3, verse 14. Let me just show what I mean by this. Mark 3, verse 14. It says these words. Then he appointed the twelve. Why did he appoint them? That they might be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. He chose them to be with him. And really, following Jesus, if I can define it this way, is simply being with Jesus. Developing a consciousness that everything I do, everything I, everywhere I go, he is with me. I'm developing a conscious awareness of the presence of Jesus. And sometimes we, we don't always, we lose the awareness. We lose the, the conscious awareness of Jesus being with us. But the moment I develop as, as a culture, as a way of life, a conscious awareness that whatever I'm doing in life, Jesus is with me and I am following him. In other words, you can be a great wife, you can be a great husband, you can be a great parent. Why? Because Jesus is with you and you are bringing him into that circumstance, into that life. You can be great at your job. You can be great whatever you do because you are bringing Jesus into it and because of that, you will know his successful leading in life. Amen. And let me give you, if you like, the, what it means fully to, to follow Jesus. I've got a few things. Here's the first thing, what it means to follow Jesus. It means, firstly, is that we listen to his voice. Look at John 10. Verse 27. Following Jesus means we listen to his voice. John 10, verse 27. Simple verse. Listen to what he says. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, or I'm intimately acquainted with them, and they follow me. Are you one of Jesus' sheep? If you are, then here we're told that my sheep know or are intimately acquainted with my voice. Isn't that powerful? And we have to actually have an expectation that Jesus can really speak to us. Here's a good challenge. Do you know the voice of Jesus. Do you recognize his voice? Do you know his voice? I want to be a student of the voice of Jesus. I want to develop a sensitivity. I want to develop an ability more and more to clearly hear his 
voice. You know, sheep, you don't drive sheep, you lead sheep. And Jesus doesn't drive you, he leads you. How does he lead you? He leads you by speaking his voice to your heart. And the goal, if you like, is to develop a heart that has the ability to hear and know the voice of Jesus. That's how you're going to succeed in life. That's how you're going to be effective because you've developed an ability to hear his voice, to know what he's saying to you, to know what he's leading you, to know what he's directing you to do, to know the voice of the shepherd. And the best way, I think, to develop a sensitivity to his voice is to obey what he says for you to do. The more you obey him, the more sensitive you become to his voice. If I don't obey, then what happens is my heart becomes insensitive to hear his voice speaking to me. I just love this. I just let me just love hearing the voice of Jesus. I think a great thing to do, and I, I do this a lot, because the key sometimes is to still your heart. You see, we want, always want noise. I mean, no, no, we live in this. We always got to have noise. We've got to keep. We've always got to be active and busy. We've got to have the ability to sometimes to learn to still our heart, because how many knows Jesus speaks often in the stillness. And sometimes we've got to still our hearts enough to allow him to speak to us. Just still your heart. Maybe spend time and just worship him. Spend time meditating and reading his word and then begin to still your heart, get away from all distractions and say, Lord, I'm here. Would you please speak to me? And allow your heart to become still. And I guarantee he will begin to speak to you. It may give you an impression. Maybe just a picture will just flood into your head. Maybe a scripture will come alive in you. Maybe a word or an impression of a word will just flow to your mind. And some of those words are not always necessary words of direction. They may be words of encouragement. There may be words that tell, tell you how much God appreciates you, how much he loves you, who you are before him. And he begins to speak these words of encouragement, of comfort, of strength. Words that guide, words that lead, words that direct. And you begin more and more to recognize and hear his words. You think about it, that's relationship, isn't it? How can you have relationship if it's just one way? Just you speaking to him. What about the ability for him to speak to you? To make you, I can honestly, you think, and I'm true of myself, you think of all the mistakes we would have avoided if only we would have heard his voice. Is that right? Think of all the bad decisions that we made that we wouldn't have made if only we would have heard his voice speak to us. Can you say amen to that? And if you've not really heard his voice for a long time, maybe you need to go back and say to yourself, have I obeyed what he last said to me? 
Have I obeyed the last instruction he gave to me? Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. I found this. That whenever I lose my peace, that's a sign I've got disconnected from him. And I need to get connected again to him to hear his voice. And it's just attuning yourself to hear his voice. You just focus on Jesus. You set your mind and you focus on him. And as you set your mind to focus on Jesus, he speaks. You know the thing is this you know there's radio waves in this room, or just flown through this room, you know. We could connect you. You could be like a radio one. I mean, you, know, you're, you could be you know, speaking out the radio one stuff. It's all about having a transmitter, a good receptor. And really, God's speaking all the time. He is all the time he's speaking. The issue is, is developing an ability to receive what he's saying to us. And I think the most effective believers will be those who aren't necessarily got great gifts or great talents, but they've developed an ability to hear the voice of the Lord. And that voice actually can save all kinds of stuff in your life. You'll be glad you heard his voice. You'll be glad that you allowed him to speak into your situation. Rather than trying to sort it out and do it yourself, but you allowed him to speak. You know, I found this one word from the Lord changes your life forever. Just one word, just one phrase can absolutely radically change the whole course of your life. How many want to say, Lord, I want to follow you by hearing your voice? Here's the second thing, very quickly. We must commit ourselves to personal change. You can't follow Jesus, really, without changing. Is that right? And there has to be a commitment that says, Lord, I'm willing to change. The Bible says we've been predestined to be conformed to his image. The goal is to become more and more like Jesus. That means we need to be continually changing and being transformed. Is that right? We may have attitudes. You think, you know what? I just don't want that attitude. I don't want to have those reactions. I don't want to have that sort of stuff in me. And there's a commitment in your heart that says, I want to change. I want to allow my life to be changed. I want to be willing to be different. And when you make a commitment to change, then you allow him to transform. If you don't want to change, if there's no commitment to change, then the truth is you'll never change. If you ever go through things, not if anyone, but if you go through things like, for example, uh, I'm trying to think what they call it. Teen Challenge, for example. The first thing they pour into you is that you have to make a commitment to change. Because if you don't want to change, you're never going to change. You've got to make an absolute commitment. I am willing to be changed and transformed. And part of following Jesus is a commitment to change. I think I shared a few weeks ago. Jesus says you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. What are old wineskins? They don't change. They're rigid and they won't change. And so he says, I can't pour 
the new thing I'm doing into something that's rigid, that's unwilling to change. Someone said this, the death mark of any church is we've done that, we've always done it this way. (laughs) Have you heard of that? And so a new wineskin is flexible and says, Lord, I'm so flexible, I'm willing to allow you to change me. If there's things in me need to change, then come and do it. Amen. Come and show me. Come and deal with it. I'm willing to have transformation. Here's the kind of thing. Is it the third thing? Whatever thing it is. Anyway, the way of the cross. We don't hear much about that in these days, do we? But this is one of the elements of discipleship. The way of the cross. If we're going to follow Jesus, there's no other way but the way of the cross. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And lose his own soul. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In other words, he's saying this. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deal with selfishness. He's saying that there's some stuff in your life that you've got to yield. That you've got to surrender. That you've got to die to. And you can't really follow me unless you kind of take that route. Before resurrection has to be a death. And I think often there's things in us that need to die. I think one of the major things is, is a dependency on ourselves. That's a major thing, I think, that we have to learn to kind of die to. And the word, that word there, to die to yourself, means that you, you deal with self-centeredness. You deal with self-protection. You deal with the self governing part of your life. The part that wants to govern. The part that wants to be in control. You're willing to die to that aspect of your life. Look at John 12. It's amazing sometimes we kind of we kind of avoid the, 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 the strong disciple in verses. But they're very important. And then we realise believe it or not they are incredibly part of how we can come into the fullness of what God's got for us. In John 12 and verse 24 to verse 26, Jesus says this, Most assuredly I say to you, and the word assuredly means truly, absolutely true. Most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, first phrase is, it remains alone. In other words, We then live a life in our own power and our own strength. We're living alone, if you like. He says if that grain of wheat dies, it produces, I love this, much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. That's powerful, isn't it? In other words, your life is a seed. And that seed, I've never seen seeds, they're just incredibly small. The amazing thing is that when you sow that seed, 
It multiplies itself. Just one little seed and whole forests, just incredible multiplication and increase happens just by one seed entering into the ground. It dies and when it dies, it produces something much bigger than itself. I think that's true of us. Our life is like a seed. And if you're going to have an impact, if you're going to see a harvest in your life, if you're going to live something far beyond what you could ever achieve in your own ability, in your own power, and your own strength, if you're going to live a life far beyond what is normal and, and, and natural, then the key is this. It's dying to myself. Being willing to die to myself. Because the life of Jesus can never manifest itself until I'm willing to die. In other words, and your life really is really revealed through your will. When Jesus says dying to yourself, he's saying dying to your will. Dying to your control center of your life. Dying to that so that my life can live through And really what he's challenging us on is this. Why hold on to your life? It will never produce what it's meant to produce. The Bible says the flesh will profit you absolutely what? Nothing. So why hold on to something that can never fully, adequately fulfill all that God wants to it? See, he wants us to live in his abundance. He wants us to live in his fullness. He wants us to fulfill the full potential that he died to bring us. And I think often we can so live our lives far, far below the potential that Jesus died to bring us. And he said, if you just lay down, if you just die to what you want, you just die to the self-will, the control center of your life, then out of that, I'm going to produce something so awesome, so amazing, so incredible through your life as you become that seed that's planted in the ground. And really, the harvest of my life is Christ living through me. Amen? Someone said this, you can't help Jesus, but you can hinder him. And so what we're doing is saying, Lord, I just lay down. I die to myself. I die to my will. I die to what I want. And I just lay myself down. And out of that, God begins to work and produce something far, far beyond what you could ever produce through your own will and through your own power. Amen. And think about this. To die to myself means... I say no to my feelings and desires that are contrary to God's word and God's will. You think about it. For example, in marriage. You you think about it. For marriage to be successful, really, there has to be a death. Men, sometimes you've got to die to what you want. Is that right? Maybe you want to do a certain thing, but sometimes you've got to die to it. Because you're saying that I love my wife and I'm willing to die to what I want. And and you'll find that often through relationships that often it's the dying to what you want that brings the potential of success. You think about it. That's how you actually develop love for people. 
You love people no matter what you get back. Is that right? You love people no matter maybe how they respond back to you. How they treat you back. How they may disappoint you. How they may fail you. But you still love them in spite of that. And that means you've got to die. Think about it. You can't really love successfully until you die to to things like selfishness, until you die to to, uh, all kinds of envy and fear and unforgiveness. Those things hinder love. And in order for love to flow from me, I have to die to it. Amen? Why? So that the life of Jesus can flow out of me. You think about it. That's the purpose of being a Christian. The purpose of being a Christian ultimately is where we... It's almost what John the Baptist said. I must decrease. Why? So that he may what? Increase. The more I empty myself, the more the life of Jesus begins to pour out of me. The more joyful it is, believe it or not, this is the the key to to joyful living. This is the key to, to, to knowing his peace and his joy in incredible ways. If only we could see. If you think about it, the self life will never ever be an effective witness for Jesus. People don't really want to see you, they want to see Jesus, is that right? And that is the effective witness, the one that reveals Jesus. His life living through you. Look at Mark 8. Similar scripture, but look at the power of it. Mark 8, verse 34. When he called the disciples to himself, who's talking about getting close and intimate to him, he said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What will he profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, word life in in the Greek doesn't fully bring around here, but the word life, there's two definitions of life. The soul life, as it's defined there, is called the low life. So soulish life is low life. And the life that Jesus talks about is the word, Greek word zoe, which means abundant life. The highest life you can ever, the life of God, basically. And he says, if you would lay down your low life, then in the exchange of that will be that you'll receive my life. My abundance, my powerful, my glorious, my awesome life living in you. Isn't it true? I'm sure we all can look back on this fact. The very things we compromise to try to gain, we end up losing anyway. (laughs) Jim Elliot was a great man of God. You remember he was martyred, he was one of the first. In 1956, he was witnessing to the Anchor Indians and he was martyred, killed. And he said this, 
He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I think the call of the hour, the secret to power of God, is simply dying to yourself and taking up your cross and following him. That's the key to power of God. It really is. It's not some clever technique. It's simply saying, Lord, I'm dying to myself to allow your life to flow out of me. I could go on with that one. Let me just give you a few more. Here's the next one. Got two more to do. Learn to serve. Be great at serving. Following Jesus means you're like Jesus and Jesus is a servant. Is that right? To really follow Jesus means I'm a generous server. I'm a giving of myself. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom. You think about it. This service, for example, this morning could not exist unless people served. Is that right? It isn't. You know, there's chairs out, people have cleaned the building, guys are in the tech things, and give microwaves. You know, but these things only exist, people serving afterwards in the teas and on the doors and all these other things. So really, we can't exist without serving all. Is that right? And Jesus said, I've come to serve, not to be served. And I think serving, serving God actually, let me define it this way, is serving God. You know what? If you try to do it for people, it's never going to work. You've got to make serving, serving for an audience of one. That's how you keep your motives right. That's how you keep your perspective right. We are blessed so that we might bless. We are ministered to so that we might minister out. Whatever I receive... I give. That's the way of the kingdom. That's the way the kingdom operates. That's the way it moves. I think that the greatest way to have influence, really, is to serve. Is to be a servant. To develop a servant heart. Jesus says, this is how we measure greatness. We measure greatness. The greatest among you will be what? A that's greatness that's kingdom greatness let me show you one scripture John 12 so John 13 here's a great story of the washing of the disciples feet it's so well known isn't it? but let me just bring a few let me just see what Jesus says here verse 12 so when he had washed their feet Taking his garments, he sat down and said to them, he says, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If, if I then, your Lord and your teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one of those feet. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Isn't that powerful? I can just see those disciples thinking, there is no way I'm going to wash their feet. Because often in those days you'd have a, that would be a servant's job, washing of the feet. Kind of low, that's a very low level of servanthood, and that would be what it was. They'd have someone there who, when they came into a kind of house, they'd have someone washing their feet. That sounds very cool to me. But anyway, uh, but the point was, I can imagine them all sitting around thinking, there's no way I'm going to do that. Absolutely no way. 
until Jesus, we're told, took a garment and washed their feet. And he said this, I do it as an example. This isn't something you study. This isn't something you analyse. It's something you what do. And you know what? You can't really serve people unless you're personally involved. You can't serve people from a distance. It's personal connection, personally, looking for, for ways and means to be a blessing. Ways and means to just use your resources and use all the stuff God's poured into you to serve and bless others. Can you say amen? You think about this. You know, Paul calls himself, he says, I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That's how he termed himself. You know what a bond slave was? Often, among the Jewish people, you know what happened? When you were, after seven years, you were a a slave. After seven years, you could say, you know what, I want to get, I've had seven years and I'm out of here, sort of thing. But after seven years, you could decide freely by your own will to serve your master. And they take you here to the door and they put a hole through it. The first earring, if you like. And that was a sign that from now on you were freely going to serve your master. Not because you had to, not out of compulsion, but a freedom of heart and freedom of choice. You were serving him. It used to be a great song years ago. Pierce my ear, O Lord my God. I remember that song. And God's saying, be a Bond slave. Not out of compulsion, not because you're forced, not because anyone is even going to particularly notice, but out of an audience of one, because you're following Jesus, the way you follow him is to develop a servant heart. And actually, you can say amen. Here's the last one share the mission of Jesus. You can't follow Jesus unless you share his mission for the world. Jesus was constantly engaging with lost people. He came to save the world and his mandate was to engage and make people disciples. And to engage in mission means we enter other people's world so they will come to know Jesus. You know, God, if you like, I use this term, it's a strong term, but I think it's true. God is obsessed with the lost. And I think he wants us to have a burning passion for lost people. Is that right? Because that was the mission of Jesus. He said, I've come to save those that were lost. That's the passion of Jesus. And he wants that passion to burn in us, to grow in us, to to deepen in us. What's the Holy Spirit really given for? I know there's lots of great things it's given for. But Jesus says, you shall receive power. And what? You shall be, what? Witnesses. In other words, we're empowered for witness. We're empowered to love in a way that we can't naturally love. We're empowered to be the husband and wife that's a testimony to Jesus. We're empowered to be patient and kind and joyful. The actual word power means to be a proof producer that Jesus is. Is alive. In other words, Paul says that you are living epistles. We sometimes are the only Bible that people will actually read. So Jesus gives us his power. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might be an incredible, effective witness for a lost and broken world. I'd put it this way. 
You're allowing the heartbeat of God to come into harmony with your heartbeat. I'm, 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 I'm the world's, probably the world's worst dancer. I've got no coordination. I just can't dance. I'm absolutely, Angie will tell I'm just, I've got no coordination. I really can't dance. I've got no coordination whatsoever. Can't really tap to the beat or anything. I was looking, I don't know why I did this, but I was kind of reading up on, on waltz. You know what the waltz means? It means partners moving together in rhythm. Now remember this, the lady always follows the lead of the man. Is that right? Yeah, you hear that, my man? The man always takes the lead, okay? And in a crazy sort of way, it's the way evangelism and witnessing is. We are, if you like, moving to the rhythm of heaven. The beat of the heartbeat of God. The rhythm of God is winning the loss. That's the heartbeat. That's the rhythm of God. And the more I flow with that, I partner with him. I partner with his mission. I partner fully what he is. In other words, we are filled to, to be spilled. I like that. You, God fills you to spill you. <laughs> In other words, and I release what I receive. I'm filled to leak, if you like. And, and this is what God wants. The rhythm of heaven. And I'm beating and I'm flowing with the rhythm and the kingdom of heaven. And it's also having a heart for the world. I'd encourage you. Take a nation. Every day I try to pray for one nation. Every day. Take a nation in the world and pray for a nation. Support some nations. We've got, we've got Cambodia, all kinds of stuff. But get connected with the nations. Have a vision for nations. You know, it's great that people are going, and a lot of you beat on a place like the Philippines and be involved in missions, which is awesome. That's part of the heartbeat of God. Nations, being caught up, being involved, connecting to, to, to the world vision. And you'll find more and more you begin to feel the heartbeat of God. You're following Jesus, because that's the heart of Jesus. It's the nations of the world that beat so strongly in his heart. So Jesus said this, follow me. And thinking of all those ingredients, that's the challenge. How much are we really following Jesus? Let's just come before him right now. We want to be amazing disciples for him. Just to be just, a, just an amazing disciple. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for followers. And he says, follow me. And I'll make something of you in amazing ways. Just follow me. Let's be willing to partner with Jesus. And wherever he goes, we can't follow. It's a way of just incredible a life, abundant life, following Jesus. Father, we, we just come to you today and that's the craving of our heart today. We want to follow Jesus. Lord, we say today, wherever you go, Lord, we want to follow. We want to partner. We want to follow you wherever you would want us to be today. So, Lord, today, just work and move in our hearts. We want to be your disciples, Lord. 
We want to be followers of Jesus in a world that is so dark. and We want to follow you. We want to be light in darkness. We want to follow your ways, follow your steps. Be all that you called us to be. We know the challenges today of that. We know maybe things that we need to lay aside, things that we need to put down, Lord. But, Lord, we say today, we know often there's a cost with this. But, Lord, we want to be a follower of Jesus so that we may touch a dying and broken world. For your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer today, we'd love to pray. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.